Nation College Football, P5 versus G5. I'm your co-host, Steve Payson. And in today's episode, we're going to go over what Trey and I um, watched out of our own teams this this week. Then we'll move into uh, what individual uh, games we had touched on uh, besides our own. From there, we'll move on to today's subject. And today's subject is uh, the youth movement of college football. And what I mean by that is how a lot of true freshmen and freshmen are getting playing time versus juniors and sophomore or juniors and seniors and how that has affected the game from there. And then after that, we'll go into what we're going to be paying attention to in this coming week. So, Trey, um, I'll throw it over to you. And what did you uh, think of uh, Auburn this year, this week? Well, this week Auburn took on uh, Texas A&M there at Jordan-Hare Stadium, and it seems like it was the same old Gus Malzahn teams that we have seen from this season. They've had good times, they've had bad times, but it just seems to be a very drastic ebb and flow, to be honest with you, because they can't – sometimes they're clicking all cylinders, other times they can't seem to get out of their own way, and – just a consistency thing, and you touched on it earlier. What our what our opinionated segment is going to be later, but I I gotta say it's it's a lack of continuity between the offensive line that's really hurting them this year, and I can't help but think that maybe they just need some upperclassmen. But it was it was the story of good old of the good tires versus bad tires. Um, like I said. Offense continued to struggle. Uh, however, the rushing game looked good. However, they just seemed to string more than a couple drives together at a time. Uh, defense was horrendous. They gave up 313 rushing to Texas A&M, and that's not. And that's not to say that A&M is a slack is a is a slack ass school. It, because, I mean, they're ranked number one. Fisher's been playing well. Their only losses to Alabama. Kellen Mond just joined Tim Tebow and Dak Prescott as having 9,000 yards and over 1,500 rushing yards. So they're – and it doesn't take anything away from them. But the D-line looked horrible. The linebacker looked horrible. The secondary looked horrible. I, the only real positive I can see that I saw – on Auburn sidelines with the special teams. And at this point in the season, I know Grumlin's fans, and they're really starting to a, – a few of the guys that were on the Gus bus are really starting to question whether that seven-year, $40 million contract extension for Gus Mel was a good move last year. And – I said it before when when they came out with this news last year. It was too much for too long because it doesn't leave any wiggle room. It puts you in the same position being locked into a coach. And yes, it shows it shows commitment to the coach and and his thought process and his way of doing things. Gus Malzahn hadn't had enough success to have that. So I just, I was not pleased with what I saw. 
Uh, I know that your boys from the city were scheduled to play. How did that work out this week? Yeah, so the Boise State, it's a little bit better than last week when they canceled four hours prior to kickoff. They actually canceled on Tuesday this time around with problems on sides of both teams. And I'm getting the understanding that uh, Las Vegas hospitals are getting stretched pretty, pretty tight right now. So that was that was one of the issues. Then again, the game that I was going to watch also was the Coastal Carolina Liberty game that ended up being canceled on Tuesday. So I'm sitting here thinking, well, what game am I going to watch this week again? And it actually ended up being the Coastal Carolina BYU game. Uh, Coastal Carolina ended up reaching out to BYU to get the game, and they scheduled it on Thursday, which probably led to some of the problems that BYU had. This game, if you happen to be able to watch it, you found it to be an outstanding football game. It was, uh, it was one of those fun games to watch. What I mean by fun game, it wasn't necessarily lots of tricks plays and lots of circus plays and, and the like. It was just good, clean football. Hey, there's nothing wrong with rolling off the bus, rolling off the sleeves, and getting, getting after it. I, I definitely uh, like those football games. Yeah, this one was exactly like that. And Coastal Carolina surprised the heck out of me. Okay. I, I, will, I will admit that I do fall into the the appearance trap every so often exactly what the power five does to the g5 and you think that hey it's the sunbelt team okay they're lower level I, I unfortunately i find myself falling into that trap also but coastal carolina is a very good football team and going over the game their d line they got off blocks. They got off blocks and a heartbeat. And they actually put pressure on Zach Wilson more than he's had probably all year long. And it affected him a little bit. Um, his throws were somewhat high when he did have his confidence. Um, he's got a very unusual throwing motion. When I was watching, it's, it's almost a sidearm a lot from last night that I noticed, but he was getting pressured all night long. On the flip side, the Coastal Carolina defense, God, a lot of team speed. Oh, my God, especially uh, the linebackers. And it's a swarming defense. In fact, their nickname is the Black Swarm, and that's exactly what they were doing. There was at least... On every tackle, every single tackle, there was at least three players near the ball, uh, if not more. I love the defensive nickname. I I think that's that's underrated thing in that a squad with a nickname make it public because it gives it gives you a little, gives you a little swag, gives you a little character. Yeah, absolutely. And that they were that that's. They were straight up swarming defense. Um, the game came down to Zach Wilson for 91 yards and 45 seconds to get the win. 
they came up one yard short. Oh. Oh. And it's just, you know, oh, he brutal. got. He, yeah, he he got the ball, and I looked at the time, and I'm like, oh, it's this is going to be desperation time. They're going to be tr- heaving it down, but it was very good, very good clock management. Not from a coaching st- uh, side of things, they did have three timeouts, which helped. But as far as the players knowing where to go, knowing how to get there, and either getting out of bounds or getting that first down. So that clock stops and they get the chance doing, a, doing a clock play at the right time. Instead of like last week where we had a team clock it on fourth down. Yeah. I can't remember who that was. I do not. I, I remember, I remember, I remember seeing the clip, but I, I've been immersed in football this week. So I have I've totally brain dumped it. Yeah. That was a very good football game. Um, I hope the playoff committee doesn't penalize BYU too much for that one. Um, they should reward CCU much more than what they've been ranked at at 18. So we'll see what happens on Tuesday on that one. Um, yeah. So what was your game this week, Trey? Well, I watched Rice and Marshall. And I really didn't have high hopes going into this game because it was rice. <laughs> they they were one and two. Uh, I looked at the spread on the sports books. They were twenty four and a half point underdogs. They were going off. They were going off at fifteen hundred. And if you if you're into gambling, that means if you put a hundred dollars down, you get fifteen hundred dollars if they win. <laughs> so. Somebody made some money. Somebody somewhere made some money. I'm not really sure what, but, and it was so slow going. There was one offensive touchdown the entire game. All right. And it was an ugly day for Marshall because their quarterback, uh, Grant Wells, threw five picks. Five. So, at what point, if you're the Thundering Herd head coach, what point do you yank him? I mean, did he not have anybody? Well, I mean, why would you leave him in there? I I don't I, – I question it, but I can't question it because he's a college head football coach, and I'm not. <laughs> Sounds like the game Jared Zabransky had against Georgia. It's – but it was against Georgia. Like <laughs> – uh, and I'm not not to you know poo poo on Rice or you know say that you know Marshall's on the same level as Boise State, but let's face it, they're not. <laughs> um, and Rice did it with no starting quarterback. They were missing their uh, their starting wide receiver and returner, and they were out of linebacker, all with COVID stuff. So I, it's in it's inexplicable how the Owls went into West Virginia and beat Marshall at home because so here, here's the fun thing. And I always love, you know, kind of historical wins and that sort of thing. So it was Rice's first win against a ranked opponent since 1997. Okay. First road win against a ranked opponent since 1991. And the first shutout of a ranked opponent 
since 1960. Ooh. So it was, I mean, when you think of Houston, you think of a lot of things, maybe the Oilers, maybe the Rockets, maybe some of the, uh, the pro teams, the Astros, cheating scandal. Um, but you don't think about the Rice Owls. And they held, they locked them up pretty solidly defensively all night long. Um, they held Marshall's uh, big-time running back, is, uh, goes by the name of Brendan Knox. He's had five of his last six games, he's gone for over 100 yards. They held him in check with 76 yards. And like I said earlier, they held Marshall's quarterback, Grant Wells, to they, – they forced five picks. Now, some of them obviously weren't his fault, but some of them were. <laughs> some of them were just a bad decision. And some of them, you know, a tip ball here, you know, a finger on it at the line, and uh, the Owls provide a lot of pressure. So that was kind of impressive to, <laughs> to see him go in. So I, I saw that score on the ticker and I just raised my eyebrows and I go, I'm going to want to hear what Trey has to say about this one. Cause yeah, I, it, it, I knew it was interesting to watch it, but by no means would I call it an entertaining game. But if you look at it from, if you become a little more of a fan and look at it from a, from a Rice University, I'm not even sure if it's University of Rice or Rice University, I don't know. <laughs> if you become an Owl fan and look at it from their perspective, it gets entertaining. Because I was looking at Marshall for, you know, kind of following that Coastal Carolina role for needing a little respect for not playing so much, not, not playing a tougher schedule as you would like to see from somebody that's nationally ranked. So, you know, this little hiccup is most definitely going to knock them out of the top 25 ranking, but it kind of, it almost squashes their whole season because it, it, it cheapens, it cheapens it. And that goes back to what we've kind of like the theme of um, now all four up four of our episodes. This is, this really has the feeling of an exhibition season. Uh, so with that, yeah, it, this season has, has got one thing that I really have enjoyed is it's kind of put the spotlight on the G5 teams. I mean, you've got Marshall, Coastal Carolina, Liberty. Even though Liberty's independent, they don't fall into that G5 category. But let's face it, they're looked at anybody who's independent sans Notre Dame is going to be considered G five. So you've got again, Marshall, coastal Carolina, Liberty, BYU to some extent, San Jose state Boise state always gets the G five look at, um, you got Cincinnati. It, there's a lot of teams that have been looked at and been talked about this season. And maybe it, it's a shot in the arm for the group of five. And now with the night commission coming out and saying that FBS football should split from the NCAA, we'll see how that goes. Um, we'll see what power five or the autonomous five do with that. 
and see if that actually comes to fruition fruition so all right let's move on to the youth movement in college football and the youth movement being that more true freshmen and more you know, true freshmen and freshmen are playing versus juniors and seniors the old the old framework with this was if you're coming out of high school you're going to either you're definitely going to great you're definitely going to redshirt but you might even red shirt or excuse me you might even gray shirt and what a gray shirt was was you sit out one semester of school you take the less credits than required and you get immersed into the college lifestyle first then you come on and they redshirt you and you might see the field as a redshirt sophomore but they wanted to groom you and get your skills up and so you could be fully up as a junior or a senior now today's path is you're coming straight out of high school and you're heading straight onto the field i'm just wondering how has that affected college football in my eyes it, i don't think it really has um i think the quality of play on the field has remained the same or may have even gotten better um the big effect might be all the transfers that we have seen you know the kids wanting to get onto the field and play and not sit and we'll go from there what do you think trey well uh, I think I think the the whole transfer thing is uh, a a different subject, but uh, I I definitely agree with you. You know, having a fifth year senior come into a new program is very difficult for the fact that developing a team takes time, and I think there's a fine balance because you are seeing, and I think what is what what you're having is freshmen being better prepared from a high school level, being more physically mature uh, as far as uh, training and nutrition and this, uh, and this sort of thing. And it's preparing them for the next level. And you could also say the next thing, the same thing about uh, college players going to the pros. But this, this whole youth movement is, is, is what we're calling it is it's somewhat problematic because I think it waters down the game a little bit because there's where no matter what size high school you went to, if you're playing Division One football, you are not playing in front of the same size crowds that you were playing at in your hometown and your high school, okay? It's not run. You're not seeing coaches all the time, every time. What you're seeing is you're seeing players step into roles and fill a need, okay? And more often than not, the youth, the freshmen and the sophomores, they're not leaders. They are performers. Your leaders are still typically going to be your juniors and seniors where 
They know what the coach wants. They know how they want it done. They have a grasp of the system, and they can convey that to their teammates. That's why you see the majority of uh, of your linebackers, your safeties, your quarterbacks, and those types, the ones that are successful, majority, not all, the majority are upperclassmen. Absolutely. Just your, to touch on how the, the players are more – prepared coming out of high school um i'm just looking right now at the current high school football rankings in the nation and tell me if this is a name you haven't heard before img academy out of bradenton florida uh let's see where's another one duncanville out of texas uh, let's see you got another st thomas aquinas out of fort lauderdale uh-huh. uh, st xavier out of cincinnati yep um, and then not even on this list are the big hitters down over in California, the modern days, the West West Lakes, the you can the Bosco Preps, Bosco Preps, and I am flabbergasted that um, Gorman out of uh, Las Vegas mm-hmm. is not even on here. Bishop Gorman out of Las Vegas, a private school. That is very well funded. Yeah, that's just IMG West. Yeah, um, that, that's all that is. <laughs> they're not, they're not on this list, and they usually are. But the facilities that these high schools have rival some lower level Power Five um, schools, and like you said, these kids are in their senior year, junior, senior years in high school, they're in that same routine. They're in that college routine of in the mornings you come, you good, you have meetings, you go to class, you come out of class, even during your, even during your school day, you might have a weightlifting class, mm-hmm. which happens to be all football players. And then you go at the end of school, you have your practice and you walk into uh, on a Friday night, you walk into a stadium that can hold 20,000. So they've been in, in, indoctrinized, indoctrinized <laughs> into this system. It's all, again, it's all in the money. Money talks and football, football's big business all the way across the board. I wanted yeah. to. I wanted to touch on it. There's a, I don't want to put this as a coach. I'm fortunate enough to have, to, to be able to look at it from, from the coach's perspective, the player's perspective and the fan's perspective. Um, as a coach, you definitely want that senior, that, that upperclassman leadership because it enables you to focus on more game management stuff. If you can have players push players and run and run practices and get on each other, because there's nothing, there's nothing like having peer pressure to drive. Okay. You can have a coach scream at you and take you to the side and talk you up and all these different things. But, when you have a respect for your peers, 
and you say, and you're a freshman and you're like stepping into this new college world and you've got an upperclassman who's been doing it for a year or two, who's maybe all conference, maybe even all American. And you've got a guy that you can step up and look at him and say, man, I want to be that dude. That's going to push your game and he's going to give you insight that a coach never will be able to because of the perspective that it's coming from. And that's the value of upperclassmen, especially in the high school and the college game. Yep. And that touches on another thing, um, maturity level. I'm not talking physical maturity. Are, are you going to have one of these you know, four or five-star high school players come in? They're the star in their hometown. and They're known. They're treated like... Um, you know, they're t- treated like Tom Brady. And then they come into the college setting. You know, at what point does the coach kind of help that along? And at what point does he squash that saying, Hey, listen, you got to earn your right. You got to earn your stripes down here first. Then, then we can, then we can lift you up a little bit. Yeah. And it, it goes, that starts moving on into, well, we got these true freshmen hitting the field now and this red shirt sophomore or this red shirt junior, all of a sudden he's not seeing the field as much. And is he thinking, you know, we touched on it earlier. Is he thinking, well, I can move to this program and I can see that that either offensive or defensive scheme really fits into my, you know, my playing. Does he think about throwing that name into his name into that transfer portal or not? And, you know, that might be another subject we can go into this transfer portal idea and how the NCAA has treated it, but that can be for another time. Well, what, what I see is, uh, when players get recruited from high school, uh, like you said, they're they're typically coming from a smaller setting. Okay, they're not the the IMGs and the Bishop Gormans and the Matter Days. They're not that bountiful. They're they're few and far between. Okay, but when you've got a kid coming from high school, he's talking, especially if he's uh, a higher rate recruit, which is once again, that, that'll be another subject one day. But what you've got is you've got these coaches and these fans of this high school player, not even team and, and mama and daddy and uncle and cousins are just gassing them up right and left. And then they start getting attention from coaches. And then, oh, I've got letters from Alabama and Michigan and Ohio State and Georgia and USC and all these different big-time programs. And that head just starts getting bigger and bigger <laughs> and bigger. And so National, uh, National Sign Day comes or whenever they you know sign a letter of intent. They put their name on the dotted line. Yep, I'm going to go play for this coach. Notice I said coach, not school. Yep. Because it does, they don't do that anymore. It used to be you go and play for a school. So they go and they get and they get into a system 
now it's the coach's job to blow all that garbage that they've been hearing for the past year or two, sometimes three, if if they're if they're one of those guys, is to blow all that crap out of the way. And it's to get them back to basic and get them to the hungry mode. Because a hungry dog wants to eat, right? Yep. Fed dogs sleep. So it's the it's the coach's job to get them to that point to get them get them to college level because that's the problem they're still in high school level so what they have to do is they have to get to that level where they're ready to play at the college level and i tell you i tell you a real quick story so and it's it's been on espn and i'm just gonna repeat it so bo jackson okay arguably the greatest athlete of all time okay sitting down in his kitchen in bessemer alabama Bear Bryant calls him on the phone, sends a coach down there, okay? Sitting there with his mama talking. And Bear Bryant says, I want you to come to Alabama and play and play for me. But it'll be upwards of two years before you get to see the field. Now, keep in mind, this is a high schooler who is runs track, plays baseball, plays football, does everything and is good at it. Says you might not see the field for for at least two years. Okay. He says, okay, thank you. They get done with their visit, they leave. Coach Dye comes in, doesn't call him, drives up to Birmingham and says to and says to Bo, I will give you every opportunity to start. At that point, you have just empowered a young man to come in and make an impact. And that's the key. You have to empower the student or the student athlete to come in and make an impact on the field. If you just say, hey, come here, we love you to death. You can come play for us. That doesn't incentivize the player to come in and do good. All you can say is, I'll give you a chance. <laughs> And some yeah. people, some people, that's all they need. That's all that's, they just need that little foot in the door. Other players, and I've, and you, and you see it all, and you see a lot with guys that don't pan out. These, these high rank four and five star guys that get signed and don't pan out. I feel like that's what happens a lot. They get gassed up and they get to a point where eh, I don't really want to try for this. Yep. I can see and they that. and they don't stick around to become seniors because because of the transfer rules. Yeah, the transfer. Yeah, we keep talking about. We can we can talk to her blue in the face on that one. Um, I don't really agree with it, but we'll we'll go on a, a little bit further with that in a, a different episode. A future episode. Yep, I got a couple more ideas. Like portion. <laughs> <laughs> the possibility of maybe dropping the scholarship limit. I don't think it's been talked about at the national level, but that could be an, that could be a subject for the, uh, a future episode. Could be interesting. Yeah. Um, I've been thinking about it and thinking how it could, you know, how the scholarship drop when it went from 100 to 85, 
how that affected college football and how, like I touched on it earlier, this episode where maybe some of these G5s are starting to get that increase in uh, talent level, that increase in being, <laughs> here's my good English going in, of being good. You know, it, it, it could all, it, the trickle down finally might have hit. So we'll see from there. So this next following week, I'm crossing my fingers that I will be able to get to see my home team play. I really am. Um, we've been off two weeks and Boise State will be heading into Laramie, Wyoming on December 12th which happens to be my birthday, but that goes neither here nor there. It is not going to be fun. Um, it is Wyoming in December. And if you've got any idea what that is, just think about the coldest day you've ever, ex ex um, ever experienced and then add 20 mile an hour wind. Uh, oh. if, that, if not more. Oh, fun. Oh, fun. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. How the weather forecast rolls out there. Hopefully that's the only thing we have to worry about instead of uh, this nasty old virus that we've got going. Um, on top of that, my additional game is I'm going to stick with BYU. Um, they're going to take on uh, Mountain West rival San Diego State. And I want to see how BYU recovers from this loss that they had to Coastal Carolina. That game last night had the the exact same feeling of the 2010 Nevada Boise State game where Nevo Boise State came in ranked third and I believe Nevada was 17th and Nevada knocked them off in overtime it devastated Boise State's season from there Boise State did recover from that and they went into um, Utah, well, they came home to Utah against Utah State and, you know, sent them home 50 to 14 and then went into the Vegas Bowl and beat Utah uh, 26 to 3. So they recovered. Will BYU. What are you going to look at, Trey? Well, I, I am conflicted and there's so much stuff to watch. Uh, I believe I'm going to be taking a look at least at the Army-Navy game, just simply out of tradition. Because how can you not like two service schools that square off every year for a game that, while it doesn't have any national implications, it's going to have implications on down the road for the health and well-being of your service. So to all the guys that are going to be playing in that game next week, hats off to you. Uh, I'm also going to be watching the a game that was uh, rescheduled from a few weeks ago and possibly looking on a uh, little Big Ten action up there with uh, Ohio State, Michigan, and Wisconsin and Iowa. Right on. I'll try and it depends on what I have going on next Saturday. This Saturday I had a whole bunch of garage work, so my college football was stuck to the evening. So if I'm free in the afternoon, I'll take a look at that Michigan Ohio state game. Also, right that's on. one that you, it's hard to, it's hard to ignore. Mm -hmm. So 
with that, we're going to conclude episode number four. And we hope that you uh, enjoy what we're talking about and what we're trying to get across. If you do, please rate, comment, subscribe, and give us some ideas. All right. Uh, We generate ideas. Obviously, you've heard it. We generate ideas out of the conversation that we have going at the time. And sometimes we just might hit that brick wall and not be able to come up with something to talk about. Plus, we want to talk about stuff that you want to hear. So with that, again, please rate, comment, subscribe. Let us know how we're doing. How about you, Trey? Like, subscribe, share. Tell a friend, tell a family member. They won't regret it. You won't regret it. Thanks for joining us. Okay, again, thank you for joining us. This is No Relation College Football, P5 versus G5, saying goodbye. Until next week, I'm Steve Payson. Great, Payson.